Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today with the school year drawing to a close, members of the Findlay High School Key Club are stepping up to help some of their fellow students graduate. We'll tell you how. Also this morning, Ohio Supreme Court Justice Sharon Kennedy discusses the importance of programs such as Welcome to a New Life in reducing the overall drug and crime rate, often even more so than the criminal justice system itself can. The same American Rescue Plan that funded the last round of direct stimulus payments and other virus-related spending also included $17 billion in benefits for veterans, we'll tell you more, and Christian Clearinghouse not holding their garage sale fundraiser again this year. We have details on the event that will take its place. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, May 18th, 2021. Today is International Museum Day. Doesn't that sound exciting? International Museum Day. National Cheese Souffle Day. National Stress Awareness Day. National Visit Your Relatives Day. I saw that and I thought, man, that's that would be awesome. Be able to visit our relatives for the first time in many, many months for many folks. No Dirty Dishes Day today, and it is Send an Electronic Greeting Card Day. That is one thing that never really caught on in the digital age, sending electronic greeting cards. You remember back in the early days of the internet when there were actually websites that would put together these little animated quote-unquote greeting cards that you were supposed to send to people, and oh, it was going to be... Oh, it's so cute. There's going to be the next big thing. Everybody's sending electronic greeting cards. And what we found out was that electronic greeting cards, in the end, were just another email. <laughs> and that's all it was. It was just another email. There really wasn't a whole lot of thought behind it. It, just, it didn't seem like... I mean, you send a greeting card in the mail, whether it's a birthday card, Christmas card whatever, anniversary card, whatever it might happen to be. And you have to put some effort into it. You know, you have to go and you have to get the card. You have to sign the card, put it in the envelope, stamp it, mail it. You know, you have to actually go through some effort. You send an electronic greeting card. You know, it's just, there's no real thought behind it but uh, today send an electronic greeting card day it just seems like a relic of the early days of the internet age you know so this is the a big buzzworthy story today i thought i would start with and i thought this was really interesting prince harry is now facing severe backlash after calling the first amendment to the constitution bonkers in a recent interview Appearing on the Armchair Podcast with Dax Shepard last Thursday, the prince spoke about the paparazzi and what he described as a media feeding frenzy when he and Meghan Markle uh, moved to Los Angeles from Great Britain. You remember he stepped away from his royal duties uh, and and he and Meghan moved to Los Angeles after uh, that big, well-publicized interview uh, that she did with Oprah Winfrey and many people in Great Britain criticized her and uh, took the royal family side, and it became this big brouhaha. Well, now, uh, Prince Harry referred to the First Amendment. He said, presumably, 
because presumably because of its protections of of such activity like the uh, paparazzi and he, he complained about them invading the privacy and and just the uh, hounding of the media so presumably that's what he was referring to when he uh, called the first amendment bonkers he said i've got so much i want to say about the first amendment as i understand it but i don't want to go down that path because it's a huge subject and one in which i don't understand because i've only been here a short period of time he did go on to say you can find a loophole in anything though and you can capitalize or exploit what's not said rather than uphold what is said and kind of the spirit of the first amendment uh and boy that caused some backlash when he said that and it got out among those criticizing the prince the republican senator ted cruz who pointed out in a tweet it's kind of nice that you can say that isn't it <laughs> and uh megan mccain on the view uh said we uh, fought a war in 1776 so we don't have to care about what you say or think <laughs> she went on to say that being said you have chosen to seek refuge from your homeland here and thrive because all of what our country has to offer and one of the biggest things is the first amendment so you should show some respect and i saw this so this is being so this is a big flap with uh, prince harry and he fully admitted you know it this is how I understand the First Amendment. I've only been here for a short time, so I don't fully understand, you know, all of this. And he admitted, I'm, you know, I'm new to the country and a lot of getting used to. But what really struck me about this was, I, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, now maybe Prince Harry understands what Meghan Markle was going through trying to adjust to life in England for all those months and how difficult it was for her. He's getting a little taste of that here. <laughs> sticking his foot in his mouth uh in this country anyway i just thought that was kind of interesting big buzzworthy story this morning some of the other most interesting things that you need to know right out of the gate on this tuesday morning the u.s centers for disease control and prevention's national center for injury prevention uh put out a, a report i think this was yesterday uh, they re released the numbers saying that the rate of bicycle-related injuries has declined among kids, but barely budged among the growing number of adult bike riders. Especially over the past year of the pandemic, people took up bike riding as a way of, of getting out of doors, getting some fresh air. It was a good way to social distance. Bike shops had a banner year in many cases in 2020. But... We are not bicycling safely, according to the numbers from the CDC, between 2009 and 2018. So these numbers don't even include 2020. It'll be interesting when we get to the point where we have those numbers, when we have that data, because of the sharp increase in the number of bicyclists in 2020. But nonetheless, this is between 2009 and 2018. Uh, they say increasing helmet use... The construction of dedicated bike lanes in urban areas and other safety interventions have greatly reduced the number of bike-related traumatic brain injuries, especially among kids between the ages of 10 and 14. 
They say the rate of emergency department visits for bicycle-related TBIs decreased by about 49% among children. So cutting nearly in half those numbers, but only decreased by 5.5% among adults. Let me repeat that because it is dramatic. The rate of traumatic brain injury and bicycle-related accidents was cut in nearly in half among kids, but only declined by 5.5% among adults. The data also shows that brain injuries related to bicycling were three times as likely among males, and boys and men were also more likely to die from a bike accident than girls and women are. Experts believe that more education about bicycling safety is needed, targeted specifically at men and boys. Going out on a limb on making that statement. <laughs> I mean, anybody can look at those uh, that data and come up with that conclusion. But uh, Dr. Robert Gladder, Lenox Hill Hospital in New York, says with an increasing number of adults commuting to both uh, commuting to work in both urban and rural settings, combined with escalating congestion in bike lanes, the potential for brain injuries and multi-system trauma is a reality. So anyway, I just thought I would uh, point that out as we come into the summer season, bike riding and all of that, uh, to make sure that you wear your helmet and take care. Speaking of the summertime season, we were talking yesterday about the importance of sunscreen, protecting your skin. We're talking about skin cancer and getting screened and all of that. But of course, your first line of defense in protecting against skin cancers, melanoma and such, sunscreen. And, again, we've talked about on the program before that it is really meant to be used year-round, not just in the summertime, but this is the time of year when most people think about sunscreen. And if it has been a year or more since you reached for the sunscreen, because a lot of us didn't spend a whole lot of time outdoors on vacation at the beach or whatever last year, or at the pool, um, is it safe to use your sunscreen from last summer or the summer before. Well, the FDA, which regulates sunscreens, mandates that they be formulated to stay stable and effective for three years. That is the mandate. That they are supposed to stay stable and effective for three years. And they will remain so even if the container has been opened. Some sunscreens do have an expiration date on the container, which makes it easy to determine the product's freshness, but disclosing an expiration date is not required by the FDA. So, note that. Regardless of a sunscreen's expiration date or purchase date, it should be tossed, they say, if it is spoiled. And how do you know if it's spoiled? If it is watery, if it has changed color, or if it has a funny smell, then it is time to throw it away and replace it. So something in mind with respect to a sunscreen. So we start to uh, get back to life again. And how about this? What is the what is the old saying? I would have had a would have had a fortune if my mom hadn't thrown away my baseball card collection. Isn't that what everybody says? You just have a great baseball card collection. My mom threw it away. <laughs> well, thank goodness that. Uh, this guy's mom didn't throw his baseball card collection out. Memory Lane Auctions is uh, set to 
Auction off a collection put together by a Florida neurologist who passed away in January. This baseball card collection uh, includes a 1933 Babe Ruth card in near-perfect condition, which they say will probably break the all-time record sale for any single sports card, which is, by the way, $5.2 million, all by itself. They figure it's going to break that record. A total of more than 1,000 vintage and modern sports cards be up for grabs. The online public auction gets started on June 21st. The expected value, or the value of the collection, $20 million. $20 million. <clears throat> now I really wish my mom hadn't thrown away my baseball card collection. Anyway, uh, some of the uh, more interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started here today. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, partly sunny today with a high of 77, partly cloudy tonight, a low of 60. A youth service leadership program at Finley High School is working to help ensure that seniors behind on their school fees can still get their diploma. Maureen Jones is with the Finley High School Key Club. 167 seniors, they have over $30,000 of debt to the school. And even though they can walk in commencement, even if they have those fees, they can't receive their diploma. And we're worried that that'll negatively impact their future. Maureen says the club is selling tickets to the Kiwanis Club of Finley's Pancake Day. And Kiwanis has agreed to give the Key Club half the proceeds which will be put towards covering as many seniors' outstanding fees as possible. Get more on our website. The Ohio Department of Health and Ohio Lottery have announced details of Ohio's Vaximillion drawings. Vaximillion is the name given to the series of five weekly statewide drawings for $1 million that officials hope will boost the number of people getting vaccinated against COVID-19. Ohioans who would like to enter the drawings must opt in by visiting the Ohio Vaximillion website or by calling the Ohio Department of Health call center. Get more on our website. Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose is running for re-election. The Republican made the announcement in a short video in which he says he made sure the state was ready for the biggest election of our lifetime. Every legal ballot was counted, a record-shattering six million, and the people of Ohio made their voice heard. Earlier this year, LaRose spoke at a legislative roundtable at the Finley-Hancock County Chamber of Commerce. You can get more on that on our website. Finley City Schools is inviting people to attend an open house at Lincoln Elementary to bid the school a fond farewell and to celebrate its long service to the Finley community. The open house will be tonight from 4 to 6. You'll be able to enjoy the building with self-guided tours, get your picture taken, and share your memories of the school building. In January, Finley City Schools announced it would be undergoing some elementary school building consolidation in the wake of three failed operating levies last year. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Always love stories of people doing good things, especially young people doing good things, and this is a very good thing. With the school year drawing to a close, members of the Findlay High School Key Club are stepping up to help some of their fellow students graduate. We are joined uh, in the studio by members of the Findlay High School Key Club, Cami uh, Wentz, Maureen Jones, Sophia Yu, Maria DeBoer. Do I, did I get all of the names right? 
Which was yes. so, all right. Oh, we've what? we've what? gone. They <laughs> we've <laughs> we've, we've gotten that part uh, out of the way. So um, first of all, this all uh, boils down to the uh, school policy uh, that uh, students with unpaid fees. Uh, will not get their diplomas uh, at at commencement. Uh, so, when did you learn of this policy? Well, we learned we learned about this uh, last year. Okay. Uh, when we were trying to find ideas for like a, for the money that we wanted a fundraiser to go to, and then we were told about how many students owed money and fees. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what was your initial thought when you when you heard that this was the policy and the number of students that were affected? What immediately, you know, what was your first thought? Well, I think we were all shocked, honestly, because. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many students who have outstanding fees, 167 students from our graduating class of 358. That's So that's about a third. Exactly. Yeah. That's a large number of students who have outstanding fees, and the fees total um, over $30,000, which seems a little mind-blowing, honestly. Yeah, that that's the, the number that, that really stood out to me, mm-hmm. is that it was that. And it's kind of interesting, because this is not necessarily a new policy. I, I remember, uh, I'm going to date myself here, but I uh, hadn't really thought about this, but I can remember uh, back when I was in high school, 35 years ago, that that was the policy. So it's not like this uh, is new, but I would have had no idea that it was uh, so extensive. So... Uh, immediately then you get to work on figuring out what can you do, right? What happened uh, once you learned that that, uh, that there was this issue uh, involving so many of your fellow students? So last spring we started planning a fundraiser. We were going to do a car wash to raise money to pay off some of these fees. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately due to COVID-19 we weren't able to have any meetings or do any fundraising events. Yeah. And we were finally able to start meeting this year in February. And we started kind of thinking about a plan to set this in stone for next year. We were actually able to reach out to the Kiwanis, and they are giving us 50% of the proceeds from their pancake day breakfast. And that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that is, that is uh, awesome. And it's interesting you mentioned that because of the pandemic, you weren't able to to really do any of the fundraising that you had hoped. Uh, and at the same time, I'm sure for a number of those students, the uh, effects of the pandemic on their families made the need even that much greater. So the uh, Kiwanis step up, and obviously the uh, Key, Club, uh, Key Club is uh, sort of the youth uh, arm of the uh, Kiwanis Club. So that's got to be really exciting for the uh, the Kiwanis. When you, you actually made a uh, presentation, you guys made a presentation uh, to the uh, Kiwanis Club here uh, not long ago, right? We did, yeah. We uh, went on to their Zoom meeting they have, and we mm-hmm. talked to them about what we've been doing and what we hope to do in the future, and it was really great. They were very supportive, you know. They uh, reached out to their contacts uh, to try and get us connected with people so we could take some further steps in this project. Did they have kind of the same reaction that you guys had when uh, – you know, they, they learned how extensive this uh, issue was, how many students this affected, and the amount of money we were talking about? 
Yeah, I think they definitely did. I mean, I saw all their faces on the Zoom meeting, and when yeah. I said that number, thirty thousand dollars, they yeah. were all a little shocked. Yeah, that's uh, that is kind of uh, kind of jaw dropping. Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously, the, the you don't really know how much money to expect uh, from uh, from all of this, uh, but all of these uh, proceeds from the or half of the proceeds, the part that they will be donating to you, the Kiwanis will will go uh, toward this effort. Uh, it'd be great if we if you could uh, pay off the entirety uh, of the fees, um, you know, but the, to the extent that you can help uh, some of the uh, fellow students uh, graduate. Now, here's the deal. Um, it, it's not technically that they wouldn't, wouldn't graduate. They'd be able to walk and they will technically have graduated. It's just mm-hmm. they won't have the physical diploma, right? That's the, that's the deal? Yes, that's correct. And uh, that obviously can, can cause issues. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, really the impetus for this. Yeah, that's what we're worried about. You know, as you go into your future after high school without your diploma, that could give you issues as you try and find a job or go mm-hmm. into higher education. And so we want to help our fellow students so they don't run into those issues just because of outstanding fees. So that is uh, awesome. So uh, the bottom line, and one of the reasons why we wanted to have you in to uh, talk about it is to, first of all, make everybody aware mm-hmm. that this issue uh, is uh, exists and uh, the extent of it. And how they can help, obviously, to get those uh, Pancake Day tickets, right? Yes, that's correct. So the Pancake Day tickets are $6, and you can get them at Finley High School or at the YMCA. And we'd really love it if people could come out and support the Key Club, Kiwanis, and our high school students. And, of course, they have recruited you all to uh, help out at uh, Pancake Day, right? That's part, yeah. of, that's part of the condition, yeah. Yeah, I, would, I would imagine so. All right, so uh, we've got uh, more information uh, on that at our webpage. So uh, folks can check that out. It is a, a great way to help out uh, fellow students in need at uh, Finley High School. And we uh, thank you for uh, dropping by. By the way, before we uh, cut, cut you loose, uh, wait a minute, any of, uh, any of you uh, attend Lincoln School? No? Um, oh, no. okay. I'm All right. What's that? My mom's a teacher. Your mom's a teacher over at uh, over at Lincoln. Okay, um, because uh, they've got their uh, open house closing the uh, building. I just wondered if there was any uh, sentimentality uh, there. No, uh, actually, not uh, for me. Not for <laughs> All right. Well, guys, I appreciate you stopping by. Thanks very much for the uh, update, and we'll certainly uh, encourage people to uh, get their tickets uh, for the uh, Pancake Day. There's one more reason to get your tickets for the uh, Pancake Day uh, fundraiser. Cami, Maureen, Sophia, and Maria, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, yesterday, Ohio State Supreme Court Justice Sharon Kennedy was in Findlay on the invitation of the organization Welcome to a New Life, which matches mentors with local jail inmates to help them overcome the choices and circumstances that have landed them on the wrong side of the law and turn their lives around. Justice Kennedy says programs like this play a key role in reducing drug and crime rates in a community, even more so in many respects than the criminal justice system itself can do. Yesterday morning, she spoke with students at Donnell Middle School before speaking to the Findlay Rotary at their noontime meeting. And in between those two stops, she dropped by our studios for a conversation as well. Justice Kennedy, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Squeezing us into your uh, very busy schedule. You've already had a couple of uh, presentations and going to be speaking to the uh, Rotary Club here uh, before too long. When folks have uh, heard this, Rotary members will have heard from you. But earlier this morning, you spoke to, well, first of all, the uh, kids at Donnell Middle School. Um, What is is that like when you make a presentation to kids, especially at that age? What do you talk and what do you hope that they take away from that? When I 
do a school speech, I really try and focus on what the educators wanted. And today they really wanted me to give an inspirational speech of how you achieve your American dream. Mm -hmm. From its design to chasing it to appreciating it once you have caught it. And it's not really the end. It's just another pathway to another journey. Mm -hmm. And really in that moment, I hope to teach them the things that my parents taught me. There are three rules to success. Decide and commit. Work hard. Have fortitude. And to me, to live your life by the Robert Frost poem, The Road Not Taken. Yeah. You can see your pathway so clearly, but there will be new opportunities to emerge. Make sure you stand long and hard at that new pathway and make sure when you're making that decision to walk down it, yeah. to go all in. There are uh, any number of uh, pathways to success, uh, obviously, but I wonder, especially for kids at that age, whether or how often they think of a path similar to yours uh, within the law, maybe becoming a Supreme Court just state Supreme Court justice, uh, things like that. You go in with that idea of maybe planting the seed? I go in with planting the seed of hope, and success. Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes when you're young, you can't really see mm -hmm. the ability to achieve something of your heart's desire. Maybe you feel you have a socioeconomic limitation, your family circumstances, your upbringing, you don't think you're smart enough. There are a multitude of negatives in the world, and it's easier to believe those than it is the positives. Yeah. So I go in thinking that each of you has an individual dream, Let's put a roadmap together of how you get your dream. Yeah, and that actually is the same message that uh, Welcome to a New Life uh, espouses for those who have had uh, challenges and maybe made uh, bad choices in the past. For those who are familiar with the program, we've talked about it uh, in the past on this program. It is a local mentorship program for uh, inmates in uh, Hancock County to sort of pair them up with people who can help them see alternatives to the life uh, that they've had to this point sort of hit the reset button and as a member of the the law enforcement community or in that larger sense um how important are programs like that we will not be successful if we don't have problems uh programs like that mm -hmm. if you look at where we are in the criminal justice system we will never arrest our way out of the drug crisis in America. Yeah. And I talked about that history of where we've come from and where we're really incarcerating nonviolent substance abusers who are addicted. And we need to change that path. And for the court system, I believe in our little piece, we've moved in that direction beginning in 1990 here in Ohio with our first drug treatment court. Mm -hmm. Now we have hundreds of those along with other specialty courts. But I am only going to have them for a short time yeah. for that year or two on probation. And that is where this program that touches the community at large, that carries them through in a mentorship, developing that friendship, mm -hmm. the person they're going to call when their life is you know, achieving the best, the mm -hmm. person they're going to call when their life is in despair. Yeah. But it's that mentorship that's going to bridge it. Well, I know that that's, that's always been the big debate within the law enforcement uh, community and within the courts is balancing holding people accountable for the choices they've made while at the same time uh, trying to 
again, find a way to hit that reset button and make them productive members of society moving forward. Because, as you said, uh, jail time is not going to do it in and of itself in many cases. It can't. If you are addicted to a substance, jail time sitting you there is going to dry you out. It does not change the life circumstances you are going to meet when you do get out. Invariably, you're going home. You're going home to the same family, the same community that you came out of. And the temptation is so great when you see your old friends of, come on, let's go. And you find yourself back into that life. For those who have finally crashed their life on the rocks of substance abuse so long and hard enough that they want change, you can really see it in the people's eyes. And that's what you heard today at the breakfast. They know when they're talking to someone who they have hit rock bottom Mm -hmm. and they want out. And I can help you with probation. I can help you with treatment. But I'm going to let you go. And when I let you go, that is the biggest difficulty that you will face because now you feel you're walking alone, but not anymore. And and I would imagine uh, for a a judge or a prosecutor or anyone within that, that's got to be, in in large sense, some of the most frustrating parts because – it's not that you want to let them go and turn them loose to their own devices, but you really don't have a choice. That's kind of the way the system is set up. Well, as we talked about in our groups, everything is driven by the General Assembly. Mm-hmm. They set what is unlawful. They also set the punishment for what is unlawful. Mm-hmm. As judges, we have some discretion, but we are required to follow the law. But it's these tools and these great community partners that really are going to change the direction of where we're going for drug treatment. Of course, they can only be successful uh, to the extent that they have uh, individuals who are willing to step up and mentor. And I'm wondering, in your experience, uh, how difficult is that the maybe the most difficult uh, part is impressing upon those who haven't had that experience just how critical programs like this are? I think for a lot of families, um, my family included, that many families have seen substance abuse issues in their own households. Mm -hmm. So I think there are many more willing partners out there to say, I want to help to make sure I'm saving the one. Mm -hmm. I see that when it comes to mentoring, we have a mentoring program for new lawyers and I see the reward in those mentoring relationships that are developed. It's the mentors telling their story, their powerful story of what they receive as a result of saving a life that's going to allow this program to flourish. And I truly believe that this program could be a model for other counties around the state who are trying to fight back against substance abuse and give someone a new life. We need more of these programs uh, around the state. In your experience, I don't mean to put you on the, uh, on the, on the spot, how, how many of these really exist? I mean, how many of these opportunities? Is this uh, unique to Hancock County, the Welcome to a New, new Life program? Are there similar ones uh, that have popped up in other places around the state? To me, to, to my knowledge, this is the first modeled as Welcome to a New Life. Mm-hmm. When I have met with other judges who serve in drug courts, they are establishing other partnerships, um, whether that's employment or educational. Here you're getting the whole package together and bringing in all the community partners working together. 
I see that in other communities, but it's the long term. Mm-hmm. It's that person, that mentor, that person you're going to call. You know, AA and NA doesn't work for everybody. So that sponsor that you get in NA or AA, mm-hmm. that is really the lifeline for that individual. That's who they're going to call at 3 o'clock in the morning when they're about ready to use. Yeah. For these mentors, also think about what you're giving them. As a young lady said today, she's burnt all of the bridges of her life. Every family member, every friend. Mm. And as a result of that, this is her only lifeline. And she's going to take it. Yeah. And she can finally see a pathway to clean, sober living. And not just clean, sober living, but to a real life. To employment, to flourishing, to obtaining custody of her child back. So many relationships that have been impaired will be repaired as a result. Yeah. I, I always think there but for the grace of God go I. Uh, I I think all of us uh, have had those moments when we can look back and say we haven't made the best choices um, and maybe one thing goes sideways and we could be in that situation ourselves. Amen. um, Again, the Welcome to a New Life program uh, is just a wonderful uh, local program mentoring uh, these individuals to uh, help make better choices moving forward and as we said, hit the reset button and uh, create a new life. We've got their website linked up at ours. Iowa Supreme Court Justice Sharon Kennedy, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, you're familiar, of course, with the American Rescue Plan, the nearly $2 trillion aid package passed by Congress in the early weeks of the Biden presidency, which funded the last round of direct stimulus payments, among a host of other well-publicized provisions. It also allocated $17 billion in support of veterans, including one measure that may have flown under the radar a bit, aimed at streamlining compensation claims. We are joined by the acting VA Undersecretary for Benefits, Tom Murphy, the agency's top administrator. Administrator of non-medical benefits and Ms. Murphy, the goal of uh, of this is a rapid reduction of the backlog of veterans' compensation and pension claims. Correct? That's correct. Yes, it, it does a few things for us. The seventeen billion dollars is a lot of money that we're going to put to use to take care of veterans. Number one, it allows us to continue the delivery of quality health care. Number two, much needed economic relief for veterans. Number three, eliminates our claims backlog, which is built up as a result of COVID. Number four, modernizes our supply chain in order to deliver all of those services that we talked about. And finally, decreases the appeals at the Board of Veterans' Appeals, the far-reaching bill affecting all veterans that interact with the VA. So there are a number of ways in which the law affects uh, veterans' present benefits. Uh, Does it provide any new benefits as well? Oh, that's a great question. It, it provides for what we call the Veterans Rapid Retraining Assistance Program, or VRAP. This is a great part of the bill. $386 million for training and employment assistance for veterans that lose their job as a result of COVID. So explain how that will work, uh, uh, the launching of the uh, Veteran Rapid Retraining Assistance Program. We started taking enrollments two weeks ago for this. It's open up to veterans that are between the ages of 22 and 67 years old. And here's what you get with it. You get 12 months of training to include tuition, fees, monthly housing allowance, living stipend, and it's targeted for training in high-demand occupation as defined by the Department of Labor. 
So it sounds uh, kind of like an extension of the uh, GI Bill, just targeting specifically, uh, as you mentioned, those in-demand uh, jobs. It, it is. There's some, so, there's some caveats here. If you're going through our VRE program, where we're already providing these type of benefits, or if you're using the, the GI Bill, the post-9-11 GI Bill, or one of the other versions, you're not eligible for this. This one is specifically targeted for veterans that don't have other options, but have lost their job. Okay. They don't have a means to take care of themselves and their family. So, uh, but uh, for just in for purposes of explaining to uh, veterans in the simplest of terms uh, how it how it works, it will be fairly familiar uh, in terms of the benefits uh, that it can provide. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Here's the great part about this program, and it's different from the others that you have in terms of the GI Bill. It's very targeted into a high demand. We know there's jobs waiting for you at the other end of this. Then we've lined it up with institutions of higher learning, uh, trade schools, et cetera, to bring a veteran in, to sit them down, 12-month program, to run them through exactly what they need, and then job placement services at the end of it. As you mentioned, you began uh, taking applications for this uh, a couple of weeks ago. How do veterans apply, go through the application process? There's two ways to come directly to us, or you can go through your veteran service officers. Now, first one, 1-800-MY-VA-411. Call us. We've got phone centers for people waiting for your call. Next one, contact us online, benefits.va.gov. It'll tell you all that you need to know about the VRAP program. Third, contact your local veteran service officer who will get you in touch with VA and put you on the road to the VRAP program. As uh, you mentioned, and just to kind of underscore this, there are some limitations and exclusions, but again, uh, that can all be explained uh, during the, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, intake program. When you call for information, uh, they can explain whether or not you are eligible for that. Absolutely. And here's a really great part about this. From the time you contact us, you fill out a form, tell us what it is that you're looking for. Within just a matter of days, you get a decision back on that and you can be in that program. And how uh, how long is this uh, program uh, in a phase? Is this an ongoing program, or is this uh, a, a limited time for the, you know that the next twelve months, twenty four months? That's a great question. It's twenty one months. Okay, that we started. Now, there's other limiting factors. Number one, three hundred eighty six million dollars. When we run out of money, the program's over. The second limiting factor is if we don't spend all the money, it's the first 17,250 veterans to come into the program and complete it. So it is limited. If you have a need here, don't wait. We've been taking applications for this program for two weeks. We've received several thousand, but there is plenty of capacity. Come see the VA. All right. So uh, important information for veterans to know this morning. Again, the acting VA Undersecretary for Benefits, Tom Murphy, with us this morning. Mention again the uh, website where folks can get more uh, general information. Benefits.va.gov. Which we will link up on our webpage as well. Ms. Murphy, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. You have a great day. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update to the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Kind of a light day in the broken news this morning. Not a whole lot of uh, stupid stuff. A little unusual, some unusual items and a couple of feel-good stories here. But um, we start with the uh, the story here about that uh, unruly passenger on a Delta Airlines flight back in December. You might remember the story. Uh, according to the FAA, this passenger tried to open the cockpit door 
on a flight from Honolulu to Seattle before striking a flight attendant in the face and shoving them to the floor. Uh, flight attendants and another passenger on the flight managed to place plastic handcuffs on the unruly passenger, but he later freed himself and managed to strike the flight attendant in the face a second time. The FAA said police boarded the plane after it landed in Seattle, took the passenger into custody. He is now facing the largest proposed fine uh, from the Federal Aviation Administration this year, a whopping $52,500. And he earned every penny of it. That's just amazing. You really have to behave badly. You get a uh, earn a fine of fifty two thousand five hundred dollars. Federal law, the FAA says, federal law prohibits interfering with aircraft crew or physically assaulting or threatening to physically assault aircraft crew or anyone else on an aircraft. The FAA, interestingly, FAA said there have been more than thirteen hundred unruly passenger cases since February first. Uh, the agency initiated approximately twenty enforcement cases. The number of incidents and rate of incidents per 100,000 passengers is up sharply since the beginning of December of last year. Uh, FAA Chief Steve Dixon in January first signed an order directing the agency to take a zero-tolerance policy in unruly passenger cases, handing out stricter punishments without a warning, including fines of up to $35,000 and imprisonment. A passenger who faces a civil penalty for unruly behavior has a number of options, according to the FAA, including paying the full penalty or contesting it. But i got to think in this case, there's really not much point to contesting it. I mean, <laughs> this guy uh, definitely went uh, over the top. $52,500 in fines. Just amazing. Elsewhere in today's broken news, coffee shop workers in Singapore uh, report that they are a bit shaken after finding a python in the bathroom. Uh, this is a coffee shop in uh, Singapore. It is reported that the two uh, two employees heard a noise in the uh, in the bathroom, and that led them to discover a snake slithering in the toilet. Not just any snake, a python. One captured video of the reptile, while the other called police. Wonder if they drew straws to figure out who's going to stay and take video. That what's crazy about this story is, by the time authorities arrived, the python had disappeared. Experts say, and this is this is the crazy. Experts say the snake is non-venomous and is not dangerous. <laughs> but nonetheless, they have not captured it. So I'm not sure that that makes that would make me feel any better. There's a python on the loose somewhere in the vicinity of that coffee shop. Yeah, I might find another place to get my coffee in the morning. Also, but it's in Singapore. You don't have to worry about that here. This is a crazy story out of New Hampshire. State police in New Hampshire say they stopped 121 different motor vehicles between the hours of 6 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday on State Route 95 in Hampton Falls. 46 drivers were going over 90 miles an hour, and an additional 10 of those were going clocked going over 100 miles an hour, including three who topped out at 115 plus. 
And this was all in a five-hour period Sunday morning. 121 motor vehicles stopped in all. And a significant number over 90, 100, or even 115 miles an hour. They say the speed limit in that area, by the way, 65. Drivers caught going over 100 mile an hour were, are charged with reckless operation that can result in license suspension. In addition to speed and reckless driving, several drivers uh, face charges of driving with expired registration and not having valid licenses. Is there a cannonball run going on that I'm not aware of in New Hampshire? That seems like an inordinate number of speeding violations in a five-hour period on a Sunday morning. You know, there must be... And why are you speeding through New Hampshire? It's not that big of a state. It doesn't take you that long to get through the state anyway. So I... I just wonder if there's some sort of cannonball run race going on that we need to know about. Uh, Elsewhere in the broken news, a Wisconsin woman has been reunited with her missing class ring after losing it 35 years ago. And more than that, not only did she lose it more than three decades ago, three and a half decades ago, she lost it overseas. And suddenly, and somehow it found its way back to her. Amy Wildman tells local news reporters she lost her high school class ring in 1986 while she was on vacation in Germany. A woman by the name of Daniela Schmidt-Müller found the ring a couple of years later, but she wasn't able to make out any identifying details on it. And even if she had, at that time, it would have been just about impossible to track someone down. But her children recently saw the ring and were able to link it to Wisconsin Heights High School. And after searching through the school's record and with some online help, Ms. Schmidt-Mueller was able to track down Ms. Wildman. She said she never thought she would see the ring again after losing it 35 years ago. Isn't that awesome? Not only to be found all this time later, but, you know, half a world away. That is pretty cool. And finally, in the broken news this morning, because we always have to have a story out of Florida, uh, Maria Garcia is suing the beer garden in Boca Raton, after she claimed she was injured when a drunk dancer fell on her. <laughs> so she is suing the bar. Uh, the lawsuit says uh, Ms. Garcia was hurt falling to the ground as the intoxicated person collapsed on top of her last month. She says the incident caused her to suffer pain, emotional handicaps, disability, disfigurement, and required medical and nursing care. The suit claims that the beer garden failed to provide a safe environment by allowing the drunk dancing woman to stay on the grounds. She is seeking over $30,000 in damages. There you go. That is today's broken news report. This update, the odd and unusual side of the news, brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. The COVID vaccines are making the rounds, and you may be wondering what it will be like post-pandemic. Maybe you like working from home. Will you still be able to do it? Will we still have to wear masks and stay distance? Will we be able to go into ball games or concerts or be able to visit a friend in the hospital? You have questions, and that's why we're committed to keeping you up to date with the latest information. It's here at 1330 WFIN, 95.5 FM, and at WFIN.com. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. 
Americans, you remember the uh, old uh, saying Ronald Reagan said it in his uh, inaugural uh, speech, his first inaugural speech, uh, government isn't the solution to the problem, government is the problem. Uh, that has never been more true than it is today, that's for sure. But Americans, it seems, are feeling better about the federal government than they have in a while. A new Pew Research Center survey out yesterday finds uh, that we are more content with the federal government than at any time since 2004. This goes back quite a ways. Now, that being said, it doesn't necessarily mean that the numbers are huge. Um, A majority still say they are frustrated by the government, but 29% say they are basically content. Not exactly a ringing endorsement when that's the best you can say. 29% say they are basically content with the government. But just 17% say they are angry. And last fall, it was 18% that said that they were content and 24% said that they were angry. So those numbers have kind of flipped. If you go back further, only 12% were content with the government in 2013 and 30% were angry. Unsurprisingly, partisanship had a significant effect on the results. As you might expect, there was a 34 percentage point increase in contentment with federal government among Democrats from 2020 to now, from 9% to 43%, which, what has happened in the intervening weeks, of course, uh, the uh, balance of power in Washington has changed. Um, and as you might expect, the number is much lower for Republicans. But 13% of Republicans say they are content with the government now. But it's interesting to note that the drop from when former President Donald Trump was in office uh, among Republicans, the drop among Republicans from when Trump was in office is not as sharp as the rise among Democrats when President Trump left office. So I don't know what that says, and you can make of those numbers what you will, but it was uh, interesting nonetheless. I I still go back to that number, 29%. The highest number since 2004 said that they are basically content. I wonder if you're an elected official, do you go in saying, I just want to make sure that my constituents are basically content. But sometimes that's the best you can do, I guess. Christian Clearinghouse is uh, not going to be holding their traditional garage sale fundraiser uh, in 2021. Tammy Stahl is here, though, with details on the event will, that will take its place. And Tammy, this is last year's uh, garage sale was uh, was canceled as well. It right? was. Yeah. Actually, we had everything all set up in the greenhouse. And then... And then COVID hit. Yeah. And so we had to tear everything down. Wow. Uh, we had, um, were able to store stuff in three semi-trucks. <laughs> three trucks. So, graciously, um, Travis Farthing is going to come out on Saturday at the Family Center, and we're going to have a huge auction. Awesome. So, we need you all out there. We need you to help us help support um, what the Work Christian Clearinghouse does in the community. So, this is this coming Saturday? It is, the 22nd. All right. So, uh, circle this uh, on your calendar. Weather is going to be great for it, and you're going to auction off 
the stuff that you were going to sell last year. That's right. So if you really want something and you're the highest bidder, you're going to get it. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, and uh, as uh, is normal, uh, we talk about this uh, every year normally with the uh, garage sale, there is literally a little of everything. There is a little of everything. Of course, I can't tell you exactly what's in the boxes, but um, we stored the best of the best, so it's going to be some really nice stuff. And three truckloads worth of stuff. So Three this is, truckloads. Sounds like it's going to be an all-day affair. Oh, I hope not. So not 90, but <laughs> we're going to... We're actually having two rings. Um, okay. So hopefully we'll be able to get through things and you will not have to be out there in the... the Real hot part. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, people love auctions. So, well, come, come, come. (laughs) Those auction people are kind of crazy sometimes. They'll they'll be out there all the time. Uh, So, when does everything start then? So, 10 a.m. Saturday morning at the Family Center. Mm -hmm. And um, again, that's 1800 North Blanchard Street. It's um, the old Food Town store, if you're not sure. And there's plenty of parking out there, so you should not have an issue with that. They've got um, food vendor coming. And so, just come on out and support Christian Clearinghouse. The dollars are necessary. Um, We help so many here in the community, um, whether they need food or help with their utilities, um, being evicted from their home. There's still a lot of need in COVID. Um, actually quieted things for a little bit, but we are certainly picking up on numbers right now. Yeah, it, it's really interesting uh, because I would imagine initially you think, boy, this is going to create a huge need for services, uh, at least initially with the uh, pause on evictions and moratorium and, and uh, all of the assistance that was available uh, and it was uh, so readily available, at least at the uh, at the start, uh, that obviously helped, but the longer we go into this uh, and the less of that assistance that's available for those who were on the edge when all of this started, uh, you're starting to see the effects of that now. Absolutely. And, you know, um, sometimes we don't always plan correctly. So those moratoriums were great, mm-hmm. but we're seeing some pretty big utility bills and sure. some pretty big um, rents because people didn't pay during that time. Right. So it's like the needs are out there and, um, you know, we still want to make sure that everyone has food on their table. We want to make sure that the lights are on and you have running water. And so whatever it is that yeah. people are facing here in the county, we want to be able to help them yeah that's a good point the need didn't necessarily go away it was just delayed it and was delayed. so now you're seeing uh the uh, big influx uh of that and uh, kind of like we talk about flattening the curve of the virus and you're now starting to see the curve uh, yeah we're, we're getting the, the peak right yeah. now <laughs> yeah um and and again something we've talked about before but for those who are not familiar christian clearinghouse uh is uh, sort of exactly what the name suggests a clearinghouse kind of a catch-all uh for folks uh, a lot of the the things that you do, there are programs uh, that are available uh, to help those who are in housing crisis or who have you know certain certain needs. But yours is kind of an umbrella for the uh, short term to get people uh, right. Through. So we help with that initial onset. You yeah. know, you're, you're facing a disconnect on utility. Mm-hmm. Um, your cupboards are bare, and you know that you're going to get a check on Friday. Yeah. You know that kind of thing. And then we also can work with the other social service agencies in the community and really try to get people back on their feet try to get them in into the long term yeah. programs yeah so we we really um we see between four to five hundred um requests every single month at the clearinghouse mm. 
And so we have a lot of need in this community that a lot of people are not aware of. That's why we need to go back, you know, sell the things we have in these semi-trucks and make money for the clearinghouse so we can keep doing our work. It's just an amazing number. I mean, that sounds like, I mean, I'm doing the math in my head. You're talking about seven, eight, nine, ten requests a day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, that's an easy, easy Uh, amount. Yeah. Um, And, and. I, again, the support and what you do is only uh, avail- is, is made possible by fundraisers like this. You do have the support of a number of uh, church uh, communities, uh, uh, church parishes within the community and, and so on, but this actually uh, makes what you do possible. Right, uh, absolutely. And, and we always have to be inventive. Uh, we've got great donors in the community. We really, really appreciate them. Um, but we have to be on the, the look all the time time for trying to raise funds and and to make sure that we can continue to do the work that we're doing and helping the people that we help. So the uh, auction, what was a garage sale, is now turning into an auction auction. this Saturday, uh, auctioning off all of the stuff uh, from last year's, what would have been last year's uh, garage sale. Uh, And I know, like you said, three truckloads, so we can't go through an entire inventory, but is there anything that you know of that uh, immediately stands out to you? You know, we we did put that stuff in the truck over a year ago. <laughs> so I I know that there's lots and lots of nice things, whether it's dishes or whether it's um, pictures or um, yeah. sports equipment, whatever. We're going to have it. So come on out. A little bit of everything. A little bit uh, of everything. Literally. And uh, I, I would guess then that this week you go through and sort of organize uh, all of that. No, we're going out at 6 a.m. on Saturday morning to pull the stuff out of the trucks. Okay. And we'll be setting them up. up And we're going, yeah. So, and again, if anybody's needing any service hours or, you know. Well, that's what I was going to ask. So, we could use some volunteers. So, give me a call before you just come out. Um, But we need some muscles out there. (laughs) And um, we would really appreciate any community support that way if you're willing to to help us unload or even help us clean up afterwards. Okay, because that that was going to be my uh, my question in terms of uh, getting all of this stuff uh, organized. It's going to take uh, more than just yourself to go through three truckloads. Well, Christian so. Clearinghouse is very blessed with some wonderful volunteers. Always, always. They're just always there for us. And um, so we, we have them... And, but you can um, always use more. We can always, always use, use more, more. And, and we need, like I said, muscles. So, again, if you are interested in helping, we would love to entertain that and get a group out. How do they get in touch with you to oh, volunteer? Oh, call me at, at Christian Clearinghouse, 419-422-2222. If you want more information, it's on our website at www.cchsupport.org. And, again, 6 a.m. on Saturday. The auction starts at 10. Okay, 10 a.m. on Saturday for the Christian Clearinghouse auction to take the place of the garage sale fundraiser this year, but so important, especially right now. Absolutely. The needs are are definitely out there. Again, Tammy Stahl from Christian Clearinghouse with us this morning. Tammy, thanks for dropping by. Thanks, Chris. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net. Check us out there. You can also connect with us on social media. Shoot us an email if there's something you want to share with us directly. Sign up for our daily email newsletter and lots more. Again, goodmornings.net. Now, normally at this juncture, we kind of preview some of what we're going to be doing tomorrow on the program. 
but I'll be perfectly honest, I have no idea what we're doing tomorrow on the program. The schedule is wide open, so uh, we're going to take some time today and figure all of that out, and we invite you to join us back here tomorrow. We'll all find out together what we're talking about. Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.